You are listening to the Capital District Civil War Roundtable Podcast, a podcast covering all things Civil War. Please subscribe by going to our website, www.capitaldistrictcivilwar.org. Welcome to the Capital District Civil War Roundtable Podcast. I'm Nick Tony, your host. I'm joined by a man who wears many hats and has many degrees, uh, Mike McCarthy. Mike has a master's in history from Lemoyne College, a degree in public finance from the Kennedy School of Government, uh, and after a long career in government, a PhD in history from my alma mater, uh, University at Albany. Mike, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Mike, you're here to talk about your book, The Confederate Waterloo, The Battle of Five Forks, uh, and the controversy that brought down a general. Of course, uh, you're referring to Union General Governor K. Warren. That's correct. Uh, can you tell us about Warren before the war and his role in the war before Five Forks? Well, uh, Warren was a graduate of the West Point. He actually was born uh, across the river in a town called Cold Spring, right across the river from West Point. So he sort of had a childhood interest in the Army. Uh, he went there, became, he was second in his class, and in those days the top two candidate or graduates would be put into the engineers. So he was an engineer. He then did some uh, uh, survey work. He did a lot of work for the con- contemplated uh, transcontinental railroad, and so he did some studies in that. And uh, then at the toward the be- beginning, just before the war, he became a professor at uh, West Point in mathematics. Uh, he then uh, became the lieutenant uh, lieutenant colonel of the Fifth New York, a pretty well known uh, infantry uh, uh, regiment. Uh, soon thereafter, he became uh, the colonel and then a brigadier general of a brigade that included the 5th New York. Uh, he fought in uh, all the battles on the, on the peninsula, and of course he was well known in the Battle of Gettysburg when he identified the, the, the weakness of Little Round Top and on his own volition and his own uh, uh, initiative, he moved uh, troops up onto Little Round Top to... Uh, save that part of the Union line. As a result of that, uh, General Hancock was wounded at Gettysburg and Warren was made the acting uh, Corps commander for the Second Corps. And he held that post until May of uh, 1864 when he was assigned to the regular command of the Fifth Corps and uh, Hancock uh, returned to, to the Army. Uh, in the, uh, the Overland Campaign, uh, he and Grant Sometimes we're not exactly in sync. Uh, Warren, I think, was a more uh, careful general. He was not as anxious as Grant seemed to be sometimes to throw men into a a conflict that uh, they would not come out well. Um, You know, again, this is is a controversial subject. Some historians say he was uh, too conservative, and others would say he was smart and Grant was too aggressive. So, well, I think that sets us up per- perfectly for what happens at the Battle of Five Forks. Before we get into the whole controversy surrounding what Warren did or didn't do uh, and the problem that uh, Grant and Sheridan had with Warren, what is the military significance of Five Forks and, and what, what, um, uh, what role does Five Forks play in bringing the war to a close? Well, as a Confederate general, said it was the Waterloo of the Confederacy. And some people have criticized 
my use of that term. It was not my idea. It was uh, General Munford, who was a, a division commander at Five Forks on the Confederate side. And he basically said that it was Five Forks that basically broke the eggshell that protected the, the Confederate Army at Petersburg. And once that was broken, once the Union forces broke through at Five Forks, General Lee had no chance to save either Petersburg or Richmond, was forced to begin his retreat that ended at Appomattox. So Five Forks is not the only battle, but the one that happened to be the final straw for the Confederate uh, Army of Northern Virginia. Last month, Chris Mikowski, uh, author who wrote a book about Spotsylvania Courthouse, didn't pull any punches when talking about General uh, Sheridan. And neither do you. Um, you're very critical of Sheridan. Um, can you tell us about Sheridan's personality a little bit and then get into what happened at Five Forks? Well, again, Sheridan is a very controversial figure because some people think very well of, of him. He was very aggressive. Uh, he was very brave. He would himself take many risks, but he would make sure that his troops took many risks. Uh, he had command. Uh, he, I'm not going to go into all his background. His main role in the Army was cavalry. He was the cavalry commander of the Army of the Potomac for the, the Overland Campaign, or some of the Overland Campaign, and then became commander of what was called the Army of the Shenandoah uh, after that, and he defeated uh, General Early in, uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. Now, again, he had, many, he had many more troops than General Early. There was a lot of reasons why he won. One person, actually it was Rutherford B. Hayes, was a general at the time, said the brains of that army was General Crook. Now, that may or may not be uh, accurate, but it, it, it was part of uh, Sheridan, was not necessarily the best tactician in the world. He, when, he, um, when he left his troops uh, before the, uh, the Battle of, little my head. Well, anyway, when, he, when mm -hmm. he left his troops and was then later when he came back to save the troops from being uh, defeated and became the hero, uh, it was not necessarily a hero because he was a good tactician or general, but because he had a great personality, a great uh, esprit, you know, he gave his men esprit de corps. He was very uh, energetic. And Grant loved that. I mean, that spoke to Grant. Right. And... and uh, as we learned again last month, um, Ch Sheridan could do no wrong in Grant's eyes. Um, and we see that at Five Forks, and we see that in the fight that takes place after the war to get to the bottom of what actually happened at Five Forks. And you do a tremendous job in your book. Uh, you, you could tell the amount of work that you put in to get straight what exactly happened. And uh, there was a lot of research that goes into that and a lot of pouring over letters and um, to your best, uh, to, what what actually happened? What 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 really happened, and what did Sheridan say happened when it comes to Warren's action actions at Five Forks? Well, again, it's very complicated. Uh, there's several things to think about. You you actually have to pay some attention to General Grant as well, because Grant had in his mind that Warren was not performing up to what standard he wanted whether it was accurate or not, Grant used Sheridan as sort of his tool 
to uh, put General Warren out of the fight. Uh, at Five Forks, the, the, there were four accusations of bad behavior on General Warren. It's a little hard to just throw it at you, but he was ordered to reach General Sheridan the night before Five Forks. He was told by, uh, er, Sheridan was told by Grant that he, Warren would be there by midnight. Warren did not receive the order until 10.30 that evening, and it was not feasible for him to get there by midnight. However, Sheridan held it against him. Uh, when Sheridan then wanted to bring his men up to Five Forks to fight the battle, uh, his men had been, uh, the Fifth Corps had been farther back in, a, in what Sheridan had put them in a resting position. It was 1 o'clock when he ordered uh, Warren to bring his men up. Warren said they'll be here by 4. They were here there by 4, but Sheridan said that was way too slow. Uh, so those were a couple of the, the issues. The third issue of consequence was as the battle started, one of the divisions of the Fifth Corps went uh, to the left of the Confederate line and did not make contact, and that was looked at by Sheridan as allowing them to go to the right when basically they went straight but that the Confederate line was not where Sheridan had said it was. So there was a debate about who was responsible for General, this is General Crawford's division going as far uh, astray as they did. So, uh, and, and weather also played, a, I think, a big part in sort of, uh, there was a lot of rain, uh, which, and again, getting back to Warren's sort of engineering background and uh, more, I think it would be fair to say, intellectual sort of background. He thought deeply about movements and uh, building the proper bridge to get uh, soldiers over uh, a, a creek that had, you know, swelled Flooded, over the, right. you know. Um, even Grant said in his memoir um, later on about uh, Warren, he was a man of fine intelligence, great earnestness, quick perceptions, and could make his dispositions as quickly as any officer under difficulties where he was forced to act. But I had before discovered a defect which was beyond his control, that he was very prejudicial to his usefulness in emergencies like the one just before us. I believe he's referring to Five Forks. Mm -hmm. He could see every danger at a glance before he had encountered it. He would not only make preparations to meet the danger which might occur, but he, w he would inform his commanding officer what others should do while he was executing his move. So I think that sort of sums up the differing approaches that Grant Sheridan, Grant and Sheridan had with, with Warren. Um, what is the, I mean, I know you already touched on it, the outcome of Five Forks uh, several days later, the, the war is over. I mean, at least, at least it surrendered at Appomattox. Right. What happens next? Uh, I think you do a great job in your book of talking about honor and what honor means particularly to a soldier in the Civil War, to a general. Um, what, being relieved of your command, what does that say about a man back in 1865? Well, back in 1865 and probably in 1945 or probably today, any officer who's re relieved of a command because of what was considered poor performance would be the biggest insult and humiliation you could get in your service career and it usually meant you were going to be discharged from the Army. And it didn't happen exactly that way for Warren, but he got 
he ended up becoming a, a major in the Corps of Engineers after the war. And what, what does, uh, uh, Warren tries to initiate a court of inquiry. What is a court of inquiry? Uh, and and um, I, I believe Grant and Sheridan are, are successful for uh, uh, many years in preventing that from happening. A court of inquiry is sort of unique to the military in that it is the case where a person who's already, in effect, been punished for an action has an opportunity to sort of reverse time and be tried for whether he actually committed the offense. So it's almost like a reverse trial, whereas the, the guilty party is the one who initiates the action to try to eliminate the guilt he's been charged with. And in this, certainly in this case, he was charged with guilt, and that was why he was relieved of his command. There is no other reason anybody would be relieved at that time of the war. So it was uh, Warren's uh, initiative to ask everybody up the chain of command to see how he could get an opportunity to um, uh, get this stain on his honor, as you mentioned, uh, removed. It should be noted, too, and, and that Warren was an exceptional engineer and did some exceptional work as a military engineer. But his brother-in-law happened to be the builder of the Brooklyn Bridge, and his sister Brooklyn. was, you know, that man's uh, or wife. And Warren could have been a member of that operation and been well known for some of the great construction projects of the 19th century. He would not, but by doing that, by taking a job at many times the pay that he got for uh, as being a major in the Army, he would lose his ability to have a, a, a court of inquiry. So he stayed in the Army at his own cost for, you know, for 15, 20 years just so he could have that court of inquiry. That's how important it was to him. And he has to wait until Grant gets out of office as president. So we're talking 1870. 1876 is uh, Hayes comes in, but even then it's not a, you know not cut and dried. Uh, Hayes is a Republican. Hayes is you know a member of Grant's party, so he's not going to immediately turn over whatever Grant has been doing. However, uh, he did come to understand that there was an issue that ought to be exposed or, or given a chance for General Warren. And, and Warren, uh, for, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but Warren is a Democrat, correct? Uh, or, or at least... I, I would guess that was played, so. They yeah. played with that in the newspaper that he it was a Democrat and maybe even a sympathizer of Lee. I mean, uh, so, so uh, Warren is sort of fighting this very uphill battle. Right, T tremendously uphill. And after Grant has left the office of president, and he's, he, Warren goes through this effort, he has to go, he has to get the approval first of the commander of the Army, which is General Sherman, <laughs> who is well known as one of Grant's best friends. Right. And then he has to get the Secretary of War, and then he has to get the president to sign off. So those are the three steps he had to take. And as I mentioned, it was a shock to many people in the country, and certainly to Grant and Sheridan, that Sherman agreed to recommend the, the Court of Inquiry. And that really was what broke the opportunity, gave him the opportunity to have uh, his day in court. And this sets the stage for a, uh, what was a really remarkable event, and you cover it well in your book, where all the big names of the day end up in uh, this room and testify. Sheridan testifies, Grant testifies, uh, Warren did have uh, a couple of prominent defenders. Uh, including Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, 
what happens at the court of inquiry? What, what, what does Sheridan say when he takes a stand? Well, Sheridan is, is very dogmatic. He's, his, his testimony is similar to his regular personality. He's assured of things that maybe they, he shouldn't have been so assured about. He, uh, he struggled sometimes to explain. I mean, I think that uh, uh, Al- uh, Albert Stickney, Warren's uh, attorney, was extremely competent did a lot of work to understand the battle and asked a lot of questions of Sheridan to undercut sort of his um, his actual his so dogmatic belief in what his what he said was true his 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 what they call his you know, his accusations or his imputations I guess is the military term so uh, so I think Sheridan claimed at one point that he marched his soldiers sixty miles in right. twelve hours yeah and know. that was ridiculous right. Uh, but it was the kind of thing that he got put into because he couldn't explain why Warren, in this case, it was about getting there by midnight. He couldn't explain why Warren didn't get there by midnight without saying something preposterous as as he did. And so that immediately undercut the whole argument anyway. So most people who read that or, and have seen heard that testimony at the time thought it was ridiculous. Right, right. Um, and, and Grant testifies, and Grant, I think, does well to—he he pretty much sticks to written record. Uh, he, he doesn't want to—well, um, I'll let you explain it. What is Grant? Well, one of the things that I didn't understand before I started doing this, but realized, Grant was really one of the worst historians in history. His, his description of Five Forks and, and what happened, one other historian that I— agreed with said was so inaccurate as to to border on fiction and that was a fair amount of time with with grant and and i think the historiography of grant is also evolving since you know since the maybe the 60s and 70s and there are a lot of things that grant did which besides his his tactical and generalship abilities but how he thought about people how he reported his events, those things are important because he had a very, you know, he had a very popular and well-read memoir mm-hmm. that most people took as this is the gospel right. of the Civil War. Right. And, and even into the 40s and 50s and 60s, that was still a gospel of the Civil War. And now people are looking at it with other sources saying, wait a minute, he's not necessarily right. And certainly his, his view of Five Forks was, was far off the mark. Right. Um, what, uh, as I said before, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain uh, testifies on behalf of Warren, uh, and I find it very interesting the way that you cover Chamberlain uh, after the war. Of course, a very popular mm-hmm. uh, hero at Gettysburg, um, and sort of had become this professional veteran, uh, as you refer to him, um, it's yeah. sort of the spokesman of the of the you know every Civil War veteran out there, uh, and he has issues with Grant and Sherman and particularly how certain generals were treated after the war. Can you get into that a little bit? A little bit. Now, whereas you mentioned that Warren was probably a Democrat, uh, Chamberlain was clearly a Republican. He ran for governor of Maine and won as a Republican, Mm -hmm. and he was a, I think he considered himself a Grant Republican. So I think his testimony is valuable because it's, it's not subject to the political spin that you might argue Warren and some of his defenders would, would have. He didn't have that political spin. In fact, he was on the other side. He was trying to say the truth, as he saw it, 
without being too offensive to Grant or Sheridan. And I think that that's why his testimony was very valuable. And he also understood the tactics of fighting. He was a very astute officer, probably would have gone farther had he not been wounded so many times right. and missed so much time. Uh, and he really explained a lot of where Sheridan would just say something about Warren as he, you know, he wasn't paying attention or he wasn't really on, on, on a particular topic. And, and Chamberlain would say, no, he's, that's like what he's like. But he was definitely involved and definitely fully engaged in, in getting ready for the battle and in fighting the battle. So he was a very critical uh, person in the, in the court of inquiry. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the um, Sheridan portrayed Warren as this apathetic uh, general, and, and Chamberlain said, quote, um, I don't think he was apathetic that morning. He was energetic, you know, right. just saying he was completely the opposite. Well, I think in this case, Sheridan's personality interfered with his judgment in that he only saw people as energetic who were like him. Right running around all over the place, cursing and swearing. And a person who was thinking and laying out in his mind what would be the actions to take, Sheridan didn't, seem, didn't regard them with, high, you know, with, with any esteem at all. Right. What's the outcome of the court of inquiry? Well, it, it's, it's interesting. First of all, uh, one of the key members was the president of the court was General Hancock. And uh, unfortunately, halfway through, he leaves the court to become the candidate for the Democratic Party as president. So the two officers, one of whom was at Sheridan's wedding, and the other was an engineer who had been in the Fifth Corps. So they're both, you know, well-regarded uh, officers, generals, but they both report to Sheridan, and they both report to Sherman. It's the, at that time, the hierarchy of the Army, the top person was Sherman, and just below him was the next to the top. They didn't have like a split. They had just these two on top, and that was Sheridan. So anyone who was making this decision was reporting to those two officers. And, and they found, basic, I mean, for example, there was a question about how uh, Warren attacked uh, the day before um, on the White Oak Road. And they, they said uh, what he did, the... the the argument, in fact, actually it wasn't a Sheridan statement at all. It was a, had to be a Grant because Sheridan wasn't anywhere near there at the time. But Grant said he shouldn't have attacked with just three or, or six, six brigades instead of all nine. He should have put them all forward. And there was a lot of discussion that it wasn't an attack. It was a, a, a reconnaissance in force. Anyway, um, the, the court said, what he did was fine, but he probably should have been up at the front rather than back in trying to communicate with Meade. I mean, not exactly a huge... I mean, there are times generals should be in the back right. doing various things. And so they had a couple of, of statements, but on the key ones, especially the fact that, that Crawford's division sort of wandered away, he, he, uh, he didn't wander away, and, share, and Warren took the proper steps to correct that problem. Also, when Warren said he's going to bring his army or his, his corps up the the court said well a corps commander wouldn't go back and talk you know tell every division what to do he had staff they told him they all knew what to do and they did it and and so the court was with a couple of gentle criticisms pretty much uh in favor of of Warren and I'd say enough in favor that there was no justification for was you know being uh kicked out of your job what happens to Warren well 
the the court decision goes through a process. It's the army, after all. Right. Uh, and there's a a a the uh, solicitor general of the army named Swaim, who's a huge friend of the late General Gar our President Garfield at the time. Uh, so he holds it up for a long time, writing a long, belabored defense of Sheridan's position. Uh, and then it goes to uh, the Secretary of War, who is uh, Robert Lincoln. And, and they're trying to finish this up. Warren has been pushing, pushing, pushing to try to get it decided, and he dies before mm -hmm. it ever comes out. And, and War or, uh, Lincoln tells uh, uh, Stickney, the, the, his lawyer, well, in those cases, we don't normally publish the, the results unless the widow asks. So Stickney goes to Warren's widow, who does ask, and it does get published. But, it, I mean, Sh Sheridan, who said he wasn't interested in the court of entry, published a 1,000 copies of his lawyer's summation of the case. Not the final decisions, but the summation right. of the case. And in Sheridan's memoirs, which are interesting, the actual memoirs only go to 1873, the Franco-Prussian War, so it does. So it doesn't touch the Court of Inquiry. However, in the part about Five Forks, he throws in his commentary about the Court of Inquiry, <laughs> so he makes sure he gets his points in that way, even though his his the, the natural chronology of his memoirs don't even get that far. I think that's why this is such a great book. I mean, while you've got the military history in there, this is the this is the fight after the fight. I mean, this is. Who is going to emerge a hero uh, 100 years later? Right. Or even 170 years later? I mean, we're still fighting that battle right, right now. Ever, forever. Um, do, do you think that this sort of, uh, before we started the interview, uh, talked about historiography. Do you think this line of historiography will sort of continue? Now, obviously, Ron Cherno just put out a huge book on Grant that uh, I, haven't, I haven't read the whole thing yet, but it looks like it's a pretty nice uh, uh, book on Grant. Um, very kind. Very kind. But as you mentioned that, I did read that book uh, because I was curious. Mm -hmm. and, and he's a professional, obviously a professional historian. What is interesting, I think, most of all, is he says virtually nothing about Five Forks. He, in effect, doesn't you know, say anything good about Sheridan. Or, well, he says something good about Sheridan because he won the battle, it doesn't say it doesn't mention Warren's name about the Battle of Five Forks. So he basically it's like two sentences. They went to Five Forks, they pushed the Confederates back, and now they were ready right, to take right. off. And that's that's about all Sharnow writes. Uh, and and that again is the interesting historiography because there is another book by name like Joseph Rose, who spends the whole book beating beating the pulp out of uh, General Grant, and especially one of the special cases is Five Forks and uh, the whole Warren issue. So there are historians still writing and they'll keep writing and, and fighting about these things. It's always interesting to see what the best when you do when you have these arguments, who's got the best case based on the evidence? You know it's like like a court, it is like a court mm -hmm. case. What is the evidence? And when Charnot has a chance to co to comment on that event and he he basically ignores it. Well, the evidence would imply that if you're going to send, uh, write a very favorable biography of a gentleman, you might skip the parts that you didn't think were that favorable. Now, I didn't say that's what Chernow did, sure. but I'm just saying it looked to me as somebody who's mostly interested in Five Forks, so I immediately went to that right, section. Right. You and must it's have been only, very disappointed. Well, <laughs> I, I, well, I was surprised, Right. and I don't know, I, because at least he didn't beat the, try to beat up General Warren. It was very... Non-existent. 
So. Are, are you working on anything else? No. No. One and done, sir. One and done. One well, and it was done. a good one. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, I appreciate you very much, Mike McCarthy, for sitting down uh, and talking with us. And I should get a quick plug in for the Watervliet Public Library who allowed us to set up. And we'll go into the meeting. Thanks again, Mike. Okay. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate your giving me the time. Great.